Arkansas PBS and libraries across the state are sponsoring the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood Sweater Drive as a tribute to Fred Rogers from November 1st through the 30th. New or gently worn sweaters and other cold weather clothing are being collected at participating organizations and will then be distributed by various local charities. MyARPBS.org slash sweater drive for more. This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, November 3rd, 2023. Ozarks at Large, a production 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellums. With me on the phone to start this uh, Friday edition from his office in Fort Smith is Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, you know my policy on temperatures. Tell me <laughs> that Halloween it's night... Wrong. Your policy is wrong, by the way. <laughs> but tell me Halloween night is preferable than 90 degrees. Do you think that... I mean, it was cold. It, not 90 degrees. Let's Come on. Okay. 70 maybe, but not 90. Yeah. Uh, it was cold, yes. Yeah. It, it was fireball cold. <laughs> well... Fitting that we're starting off talking about temperatures and numbers because we got a lot of numbers to talk about this week. Let's start with um, quarterly income from ArcBest that was released this week. Um, it's a down arrow, right? Yeah, it's down on income and revenue. Now, look, nobody should be crying a river for ArcBest. <laughs> it's, it's down, but it's not like they're losing money over there. But um, they did. And now, just by way of reminder, ArcBest is a um, shipping in the logistics company, their primary subsidiary is ABF Freight, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. But in the third quarter, they post revenue of uh, just under $35 million, and that was down 60% compared to the same period last year. Uh, revenue in the quarter was $1.12 billion. That was down just under 12%. So they had some hits. Now, keep in mind the last – the previous two years were just banner years for the company as – the supply chain, everybody knows the supply chain essentially had to be put back together after the pandemic uh, and put together, in fact, in a different way. And so companies like ArcBest that were shipping and handling logistics did very well because people were willing to pay a premium to get get their stuff through the supply chain. So those days are over for the most part. Now, net income for the first nine months of the year was $146 million. That's down 44%. Revenue in the first nine months was $3.3 billion, down uh, just under 14%. So company's still well, doing well. Um, uh, again, I wouldn't cry on a river. Um, and we're seeing um, some, according to the uh, reports nationwide, we're still seeing some contracts and some the manufacturing sector kind of still pulling back. That hurts art best a little bit, but we – uh, are still seeing, you know, the consumer spend. We're seeing um, some. We've seen some of that in federal reports. The consumer is still healthy. So, you know, this is a company that ships stuff around for consumers. So, um, I think the outlook is still positive for the company. But it's uh, it's been a it's definitely been a down year for them. But again, stress. It's a down year compared to two really just banner year. The, the company was. Uh, making considerable uh, considerable money. Well, it's all relative, right? I mean, you got to keep that in mind when you're yes. when you're looking at numbers, which is the same, I guess, for building permits in the Fort Smith metro area. October to October, there was a drop, but 
Yeah, but they're still doing very well. Right. I know we're not boring everybody with all of these numbers, but, yeah, we look at um, Fort Smith, Van Buren, and Greenwood. We combine those together. In October, their combined value was $24.2 million. That was down 60% from October 2022. But for the year, um, in those three cities, they're the, the and primarily thanks to what's going on in Fort Smith, but for, for the year, the building permit values are just right under $450 million. Uh, and that's up just under 9% for the year. And again, remember, it's talking about comparisons. Last year was a record year by far, not just a little bit of a record, but a record by far. So I fully expected for 2023 to be kind of flat or down because it just, I just didn't see how they could keep up the pace, but they are. Fort Smith numbers are uh, up almost 30% for the year. Van Buren numbers are um, down 63%, and that's primarily because the last year, last year and a half, they had that 100 million plus Simmons food project going on. They don't have that in the pipeline this year. And the Greenwood numbers, they're up uh, a little over 14%. So uh, healthy growth still, a lot of um, commercial activity uh, growth. I think there's even, especially in Fort Smith, even with the housing, new housing moratorium. There's still a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of residential work going on. Folks uh, folks are betting on uh, that foreign military pilot training center, bringing a lot of folks mm-hmm. who need housing. So that's driving some of that. Well, you know what else is driving some building activity? And that's the expansion that continues at Mercy Fort Smith. They're going to go from, I don't know, um, like... 29 to 50 rooms in the ER department. It It's progressing, right? Yes, it is progressing. And, you know, we, um, back in February, we reported on it. Um, and that's when they had, they reported that they had a um, significant increase. Well, let's say significant. Um, their initial estimate for the project was $164 million. That's now up to $186 million, probably closer to $190 million. But it is a significant uh, expansion to the facility. And so we just wanted to check in, see how it's going. Because if I don't have to tell folks in Fort Smith, if you drive by, it is really coming out of the ground. It's really impressive. Um, And even though I had computer renderings and that kind of thing, you um, (laughs) you don't get a grasp of how big it is until you see it. So, um, but it's coming out in... The interesting thing is they said they're beginning to start uh, hiring. They estimate about 168 new jobs once it's um, fully operational. And um, and they say the majority of those jobs, they're going to really start to ramp up and try to fill those in the summer of next year. This whole facility is set to open in early 2025, but it's still on, still on track. It'll add significantly more ICU rooms, more ER rooms. A lot of the lessons learned during the COVID pandemic, they're going to work into the facility in terms of logistics and patient flow and that type of thing. Not that they're expecting another pandemic, but it'll just be there in case, uh, uh, you know, there's any kind of mass, you know, casualty type thing. Always better to be prepared, isn't it? Yes, especially in healthcare. Yes. All right. You can read about all of this and much more at talkbusiness.net. If it stays warm enough, we'll do this again next Friday. Well, well I hope either way we do it next, okay. next Friday. Okay, all right. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. 
Ahead this hour, it was 25 years ago this week, Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport opened to the public in Heifel. We wondered what else we covered in November 1998. I was thinking of Star Trek, the next generation, because we've been here 25 years and we've been through two generations now, so I thought, okay, this is the next generation, it's a transition. They're number seven, and if they beat Tennessee, they obviously would move up, maybe even to the top five. An institution left Dixon Street, and the entire state was getting ready for a top ten clash in college football. We go back 25 years later this hour. Cher has a confession about her voice. I'm not a Cher fan. I, I'm pretty good on stage, though, and I'm really funny, but not a big fan. Well, plenty of people are. Cher on her music and her first ever Christmas album, that and all the latest news, Saturday on Weekend Edition from NPR News. Weekend Edition tomorrow morning, beginning at 7. And, by the way, the Cher Show National Tour with three different actors portraying Cher at different stages of her career actually begins at Walton Arts Center in Fayetteville later this month. There is at least one farm in northwest Arkansas affected by avian influenza. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture reports testing has confirmed cases on a poultry farm in Madison County. The department stresses that these cases do not represent a danger to humans, nor will they affect meat or poultry products, which will still be safe to eat. Lower tax rates mean Arkansas revenue has fallen in the first four months of the fiscal year in Arkansas. Daniel Breen with Little Rock Public Radio has more. The latest report from the Arkansas Department of Finance and Administration shows net available revenues so far this fiscal year total roughly $2.3 billion. That's about $166 million less than the same time last year, representing a roughly 7% drop. Despite that, year-to-date revenues are still about 6% above forecast. The department says the drop in tax collections is mainly due to tax cuts instituted by the legislature. A number of business sectors reported growth in sales tax collections compared to last year, including motor vehicle sales tax collections, which rose by about 7% since last October. Arkansas ended the last fiscal year with a surplus just over a billion dollars. That's the third year in a row the state saw a surplus around the 10-digit mark. In Little Rock, I'm Daniel Breen. Health grades, a leading resource used by consumers to find a health care provider, is assigning five stars, its highest rating, to the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences for its treatment of heart failure, pneumonia, and respiratory failure, and for the third consecutive year, cranial neurosurgery or brain surgery. The 10th-ranked Arkansas Razorback soccer team will play for the SEC Tournament Championship after defeating number 18 Mississippi State last night 2-0. In the tourney's semifinals, Arkansas will face the second seed in the tournament, Georgia, Sunday afternoon in the finals, the tournament being played in Pensacola, Florida. The Razorbacks, the regular season champs in 2023, are in the tournament finals for the seventh time in the last eight years, and it's the ninth appearance in the title game overall for the Arkansas program. Despite all those appearances, though, the Razorbacks have never won the entire tournament. And a quick reminder, Daylight Saving Time ends this weekend. We'll fall back and gain an hour officially Sunday morning at 2. This is Ozarks at Large. Tonight, the 2023 Razor Hack Cyber Challenge weekend begins in the Arkansas Union on the University of Arkansas campus. 
The registration form for the event describes Razor Hack as an adrenaline-pumping three-day capture-the-flag competition for hacking enthusiasts and hobbyists. Earlier this week on Ozarks, we talked with Christopher Wright, a partner with Sullivan Wright Technologies in Little Rock, about the value of cyber challenges. While he doesn't organize Razor Hack, he does help put together the annual Jolt Cyber Challenge in Little Rock. So for more information about the Fayetteville Cyber Challenge, we turn to IT professional Evan Glover. He's the project lead for Razor Hack. And this week I asked him what the three days will be like, starting with tonight. During the opening banquet, uh, me and my executive committee really wanted to put something together where we could invite a whole bunch of people and get them together without the stress of competition, have it be a networking event. And that's kind of the whole purpose of Razor Hack to begin with. Uh, we like to joke that it's a networking event disguised as a cyber competition. So we wanted to be able to invite not just our participants, but businesses from all around Arkansas, uh, sponsors and any other distinguished guests, get them all in one room where we could have them network together, have food, have drinks, music, and then also have speakers where we can talk about a bunch of different emerging technologies, cybersecurity, and how important it is for the not only the United States, but really focus on the state of Arkansas. You mentioned the competition. When I talked to Christopher Wright yesterday, he was saying, yeah, it's a competition, but he didn't want people to be intimidated by that. Like, get involved and just experience it. Would you echo that? Oh, yes, absolutely. So one of the beautiful things that happens at these types of competitions is usually there will be two or three teams that pull really far ahead once we get towards the end. And then what they'll do instead of just trying to score more and more points is they'll actually walk around to the other teams and help them and help them learn, especially for those younger teams, those high school students or those early college students that are really there just to get exposed because they want to see what they want to see what everyone else is doing. So seeing those industry professionals come in and help those others is really a really cool thing to see. All right. Let's talk about the competition. Uh, what happens? So for Razor Hack, it's what's called a Jeopardy style capture the flag. And that basically just means that there's going to be a whole bunch of tasks that we give our participants and we might give them hints or something like that. And then we're going to hand them a computing environment. And then what they have to do is they have to go through a whole bunch of different puzzles and find what's called a text flag. So just think of it as a sentence or something like that, that they have to go find somewhere on the computer after completing these puzzles and then submit that for points. So they might find those flags through encryption puzzles or through exploiting uh, common web vulnerabilities. Or we might just have uh, fun logic puzzles, which are open to people of all age groups. And something unique that RazorHack will have this year is that we actually have the Idaho National Lab coming down to set up an escape room. So a cybersecurity-focused escape room. So it'll be a combination of cybersecurity puzzles and also your traditional escape room. So there will be a little bit of something for everyone. What does it sound like once the competition gets going? So if you were to just be standing outside the room, you think there'd probably be a party going on. There's upbeat music, there's bright lights, you hear a whole bunch of talking, and then you walk in and it's a bunch of people glued to their computer screens or all huddled around a computer screen. Uh, but as the competition goes on, uh, eventually those teams start to get more comfortable and they'll start to mingle. And like I said, it starts to turn into that kind of like networking event. So that's what you hear, a whole bunch of talking, a whole bunch of music, and a whole bunch of clacking of keyboards. What are the real world, uh, you know, skills or intuitions that are gained through something like razor hack so through razor hack i think one of the skills that a lot of people pick up that i don't think is focused on as much as it should be is the skill of communication so a lot of whenever i was going through college i got an information systems degree and a lot of these people that'll be participating will be getting computer science degrees or electrical engineering degrees 
Well, through a lot of universities, they don't do a big focus on like the speech programs or the communication programs, something that's very helpful in a career. It's one thing to be able to do something, but then it's one thing to be, be able to explain that to someone else, explain it to your boss, explain it to your teammates and be able to collaborate, be a team player. That's something that Razor Hack or these other competitions really, really focus on. Uh, for some of these teams, some people are signing up as solo participants. So we're going to be sticking them on a team of three that was already formed or matching them up with other solo participants. They need to be able to communicate with these people they'd never met before and be able to complete these puzzles that they're seeing for the first time in order to try to win. So communication is one of those big skills. Can this help the state of Arkansas? Can this help kind of retain talent? Razor Hack initially started because we got a grant from the IEEE Computer Society. And one of the main goals of that was to make it a reoccurring thing to raise awareness of emerging technologies and get people interested in this kind of thing. So we really went hard on focusing colleges and high schools because they'll get involved in these types of things. They'll get plugged into the Arkansas community and they'll, then they'll want to stay here because they're seeing all the great things that are happening, especially here in Northwest Arkansas, but they're able to meet all the businesses that are here in Northwest Arkansas, all the communities and all the uh, nonprofits here in Northwest Arkansas that are trying to help them out. So yeah, retaining talent was something that we were ho really hoping we could do for the state. Evan Glover is the project lead for the 2023 Razor Hack Cyber Challenge that begins tonight and continues through Sunday on the University of Arkansas campus. We spoke on Zoom earlier this week. So now let's move from the future of cybersecurity to a centuries-old story of love and fairies. The University of Arkansas's production of William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens tonight in the UA Theater on campus. The fantasy comedy is one of the best known of Shakespeare's plays and arguably the most playful. The cast for this production is mostly undergraduate students, mostly. Stephen Marzoff, assistant professor of theater, is also in the cast. And yesterday, he came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk with me about this production in particular and the play in general. Don't you think if you ask someone about a Shakespeare play, I feel like this is one of the first ones somebody would mention that they've heard of. <laughs> and, you know, because of the magical and fantastical elements also, I think English classes, they probably have to read this play. But it's, it's, it's lighthearted. It is. It's fun. Mm -hmm. It's um, whimsical. Yes. How do you keep that on stage? Well, I think the design has a lot to do with it. Visually, how you create the world really helps with that. And then as far as just the comedy of it and the humor, it just sort of, it's in there. I actually think it's one of the most brilliantly constructed plays because you have the three distinct worlds that then all intersect with the mechanicals, the fairies, and then the court slash lovers. And by the time the play ends, all of them have intersected together. It's pretty genius, actually. It reminds me, or actually, there are episodes of Frasier that remind me of this play where people are kind of just missing each other and coming in and out. And yes, totally. Yeah, that happens so much in this play. Um, the other element of this play is the whole mistaken who is supposed to be in love with who. And, of course, Puck is the, the mischievous, naughty fairy that does this. And, of course, the lovers then are all with the wrong person until the end, and then everything gets fixed. Undergraduate production. Uh, I'm imagining for some of the actors on stage, maybe the first Shakespeare they've done? Definitely. Do you talk about that in, in, in the early days? of? We do. So usually when I work on Shakespeare, if I'm directing or text coaching or acting in it, we'll have a table read, and then we have what's called, uh, I do folio work. It's based on Shakespeare's first folio. There's a specific technique that goes along with the structure of how he wrote his plays. 
So we'll do all of that text work for, we did it for a week. We just sat around the table and went um, line by line, actor by actor, character by character, and talked about what does this line mean? What does the punctuation mean? If there's a period, what does that mean versus a colon or a semicolon? I know it sounds really boring, but it's, it's a huge thing in Shakespeare to have this different punctuation and what that means for the character and their intentions and their motivations and even emotionally where they're at. Well, I, I would think as an actor, you'd want that. I mean, what am I saying That's here right. and why am I saying it? Yeah, it's crucial because I've always said when audiences see bad Shakespeare, it's because the actors don't know what they're saying. When they see Shakespeare that they like, it's because the actors know what, they, what they're saying and they know what they're doing. Well, yeah. And, and then I, I'm no actor, but I imagine there is this, this impulse to, to, to speak differently, perhaps, if I'm reading Shakespeare, like not to speak as I would as an actor in something else and then become not as understandable if, to the audience? Absolutely. It's one of the things I, I tell young actors all the time is do not put on the Shakespeare voice. Like, to be or not to be. Where is that coming from? Just have your own natural voice. And I think that's where Shakespeare gets such a bad rap is that you've seen this before. The actors don't know what they're saying. They put on the voice. Whereas if you just approach it as the human being that you are, understanding what you're saying and have motivation behind it, it's actually pretty accessible. I always say, you're not going to understand every single word, and, and that's just the way that it is. The words that Shakespeare wrote have a different meaning now, and, and that's just the way that it is. But if you understand what you're saying and you do it and convey it in a human way, the audience is going to understand 85 to 90 percent of what's going on. Do you suggest, I mean, and this is, again, one of his most well-known plays. I think so many people have seen a production of it, good or otherwise. I've seen both. <laughs> um, would you suggest to a patron going to this or any other Shakespeare play or maybe any other period play to just read a little bit beforehand to familiarize yourself? I do. I think it's always good to know what's going on with any play that you go see, even a film, you know, just mm -hmm. to get a little understanding of you know, if they have a write-up about it or something. I think that that helps because the truth is, is the first five or six minutes, it takes the audience time to adjust to the language, you know, because of the verse, because of the heightened imagery. This play also has prose in it, which is closer to how we speak. The mechanicals all speak in prose. Right. So I do think there's a lot of mileage in just doing even a quick synopsis of what's going on so you understand, oh, there are three distinct worlds in this. The lovers run out into the forest because of this. Theseus and Hippolyta are getting married because of this. Oberon and Titania are fighting because of this. I think any of that can really help at a time. All right, so it is hundreds of years old, but the themes are still relevant. I mean, lovers, identity, yes. status. Yes, all of that, absolutely. And we talked a lot about that thematically. I mean, love is, I think that that and the word dream is used the most in the play. And that's a really good indication of thematically what Shakespeare is, is trying to go for here. So totally, and identity I think is so big in this play from the status shifts of Hippolyta and, and Theseus and Oberon and Titania down to the mechanicals and how they all work together. And what does it mean to have lower status in this world versus higher status, totally. Stephen Marzoff is an assistant professor of theater at the University of Arkansas. 
and was at the Carver Center for Public Radio yesterday to discuss the UA production of William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Tonight is opening night in the UA Theater on campus, and the run for the play extends through November 12th, the Sunday. But please note, no show Saturday the 11th since there is a Razorback football game on campus that day. What makes the Real Housewives a cultural institution? We descended into the depths of the Bravo convention to find out. This is my Comic-Con. We hear from a Bravo producer. If you want to be the villain, I'm ready to rock out. And the housewives themselves. I am talent, but I'm God's talent. To understand why The Real Housewives is peak culture. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. It's been a minute tomorrow morning at 10. This is a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. I'm on the phone with Becca Martin-Brown, arts and entertainment editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Welcome back, Becca. Hi, Kyle. How's your world? Uh, it's been a very busy week. I'm not. That's not a complaint. It's just an observation that a lot is going on. I don't know if if Mercury's in retrograde <laughs> or if your Honda's in retrograde. I I don't know, but it's been that kind of week. Yeah. So, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? What did you dream about? Honestly. Hmm. From about age four, I wanted to host a radio show. Are you kidding? No, no. I I would. My earliest memories are of my teddy bear Smokey and I hosting a radio show in my bedroom. That's all I wanted wow. to do. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty lucky. I'm pretty pretty lucky. I understand that. Well, I wanted to grow up and be on Broadway and eat out of automats because I'd seen a Doris Day movie with the little doors. You yes, know? yes. Well, the automats are long gone. But if you two dream of being an actor. There's a guy coming to town this weekend who would like to help you do that. Okay. His name is John D'Aquino, mm-hmm. and he's coming to town because Krista Bradley, who is making the film Wonderland Gave, yes, invited him to come teach acting. And is this open to anybody of all ages? or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, eight years old and up. Any skill level. He's been doing, if you've watched a movie or a TV show, Anytime since 1985, you've seen him. He was on 21 Jump Street and Quantum Leap and Seinfeld and Third Rock from the Sun, and That's My Bush. Remember That's My Bush? I don't. It was a a very short-lived sitcom making fun of the presidency. Oh, I do not remember that, but I believe you. That's funny. And Monk and CSI and Dexter and NCIS, and he was Ulysses and Xena Warrior Princess. And so he is going to be here. He teaches a lot now. And he says that he can teach you things in this one weekend that will turn the way you approach acting upside down and send you on your way. So these workshops happen on Saturday and Sunday in Bentonville. It's $150 for one workshop or four workshops for $450. I think that's a savings, but that's math, and I don't do that. <laughs> Eight years old and up, and he's still level welcome. And if you go and search, it's a male chimp address, John D'Aquino. It's J-O-H-N-D-A-Q-U-I-N-O, and you'll find it, and you can sign up. Inverse Festival is this weekend at the Momentary in Bentonville. That's absolutely right. I think that writing the story I just wrote about this may have made me the most nervous of any story for a long time. Okay. 
because I don't really understand what performance art is. Right. But my take on it, having talked to several people, including the executive director of La Pocha Nostra, which is a superstar performance art collective, is it kind of everything? Well, it can be, sure. It's experimental theater. It's interpretive dance. There's going to be a dance film made tonight as part of the Performance Art Festival. There's a cool one. Brooke Benham, who is an enrolled member of the Kiowa tribe, is taking paintings that her grandfather did. Grandfather? Father. That her father did. And turning them into a performance. All sorts of cool stuff is going to be happening. And it's all weekend at the Momentary. $25 general admission. You can find out more at themomentary.org. Or read my story at nwaonline.com and see if I sound like a babbling idiot. <laughs> no. Then it's Dia de los Muertos time. Well, actually, I think that's November 1st. But they're doing the stuff today and tomorrow. Observed, yes. Yes. There's a Dia de los Muertos event in downtown Springdale tomorrow from noon to 6, Shiloh Square and Turnbow Park. There's one tonight at the Community Creative Center in Fayetteville from 5 to 8 o'clock. And there's a Create a Day of the Dead painting at 11 tomorrow at the Fort Smith Museum of History. And that's free with museum admission. Maker's Market, the Northwest Arkansas Maker's Market, is Sunday from 10 to 4 at the Washington County Fairgrounds. More than 250 local makers, free admission, parking $5. This is Diversity Weekend in Eureka Springs. And the cool thing that they're doing, I think, happens at noon on Saturday and involves Zeke Taylor, who I think is super cool. It happens at Basin Spring Park, and it's called PDA at the Park. Right, right. Which means public display of affection. Zeke's going to say a few words, then anybody who wants to can smooch their person. Saturday night, 7.30, Reynolds Performance Hall at ECA in Conway. The 20-member Orchestra Folklorico from Mexico is performing the score to Coco. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Tickets are $30 to $50, $10 for children and students. You can find out more at eca.edu slash Reynolds. And on Saturday, the Arkansas Cornbread Festival returns right. on Main Street in Little Rock, Selma neighborhood. I can't think of a better idea for a festival. I really can't than a cornbread festival. Well, it's a benefit for the Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance. Mm-hmm. So that makes it even better. You get a $20 cornbread tasting ticket which not only lets you sample, but vote for your favorites. There's going to be live music and all that other stuff we're used to. The worst so. the worst serving of cornbread is better than no serving of cornbread. <laughs> I'm serious. Spoken like a true Southerner. <laughs> Put jalapenos in it. And I don't care. Want, I'm going to eat it. Oh, you need jalapenos. Cornbread and cheese dip? I'm, I'll try it. If you want more Little Rock... Entertainment notes. Check out the Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday style sections. If you want more from Northwest Arkansas and the River Valley, check out what's up in the Northwest Arkansas 
newspaper or in the River Valley Democrat Gazette, go on our website at nwaonline.com and come back next week when perhaps I'll have some clue what I'm talking about. You always have. You always know what you're talking about. I don't care what you say. Becca Martin-Brown is <laughs> the Arts and Entertainment Editor of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, try to get some rest this weekend, and we will talk again next Friday. This is Ozarks at Large. This week's 25th anniversary of the opening of Northwest Arkansas Regional Airport got us thinking about November 1988 and sent us to our show's archives. Sure enough, there was the first CEO of XNA, Scott Van Lenningham, explaining the expectations for the brand new airport. We are projecting next year to be the transition year. Uh... And then we think that most, if not all, of the airlines will be at the new airport for the first full year of operations, uh, the year 2000. And the airlines did leave Drakefield in Fayetteville and have been flying out of XNA ever since. In 1998, Van Lanningham was excited to tell us one of the big differences between the new airport and Drakefield, boarding planes. They'll go directly from the terminal building uh, through jet bridges and directly onto the plane, so no more having to... Uh, get an umbrella and go out uh, in the in the weather to then climb back up the plane. Turns out November 1998 was a lot about transition around here. Amy Ramsden, a graduate student correspondent for us then, covered the last few days of Restaurant on the Corner, or ROTC, as an institution on Dixon Street before it moved to the then outskirts of Fayetteville. She asked proprietor Anita LaFlette about the move as the ROTC building was about to start a transition to become the Three Sisters building. The phrase uh, popped into my mind, um, I was thinking of Star Trek, the next generation, because we've been here 25 years and we've been through two generations now, so I thought, okay, this is the next generation, it's a transition. ROTC was moved to the former Hush Puppy restaurant near the 112 drive-in. After a long run there, ROTC closed, as has now the drive-in. In 1998, Anita LaFlette sounded nostalgic about the restaurant's last days on Dixon. The skateboarders won't be going by the window, and they won't be popping in to drink coffee. And um, it's that, that part is very sad for me because I've watched so many, quote, kids grow up and become young adults and go to work here and have families. And um, I hope some of them can follow us. It was in November 1998 that a retiring Dale Bumpers gave his last address to his colleagues in the United States Senate after nearly a quarter century in the body. I weep sometimes for the unfair treatment of my state. I'm already nostalgic about this chamber. 24 years in this chamber. The cloakroom, the hearing room. Capital itself. For 24 years, the first 20 of which I went home almost every weekend and came back on Sunday night, I never failed as we sailed by the Washington Monument to get goosebumps. 
and I hope I never do. The retiring bumpers was replaced by newly elected Senator Blanche Lincoln, who was then replaced by current Senator John Bozeman. Senator Bumpers would soon write his memoir, The Best Lawyer in a One-Lawyer Town, published by the University of Arkansas Press. Not everything was ending in November 1998. The still-new Jones Center for Families in Springdale launched a new sport for the region, curling. The name curling comes from the fact that the rock does not move in a straight line. You can make it move to the left or move to the right. It curls to the left, it curls to the right. Northwest Arkansas newcomer Bill Johnson, who moved here from Grand Forks, North Dakota, was our curling guide that November day in 1998. And some things just stay the same. In 1998, Richard Potts was the curator of anthropology for the National Museum of Natural History at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. That's a post he still holds today. Back in 98, he came to the University of Arkansas as part of the Robert Stigler Lecture Series on Anthropology. One of the things that um, remains one of the great untold stories of, uh, of our past is how you begin with a tropical African ape-like creature, which the fossil record and, of course, the study of genetics uh, shows to be a virtual certainty, how you begin with that five million years ago and end up with a species all over the world today. That's an extraordinary geographic story, an extraordinary ecological story. And, of course, we think of ourselves as being so ecologically dominant uh, in, the, uh, in the present. And that's a story that really there's, uh, there's not been a satisfactory account of that as yet. And I think the account that we're beginning to put together of adaptation to novelty and instability of environments um, begins to tell that story. And 25 years ago this month, we were getting ready for a big football game. Bob Holt from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette helped us prepare. National championship implications for number one Tennessee. And, and as hard as it is to believe, it's got national championship implications for Arkansas because if Arkansas wins this game, they're, they're number seven in the BCS standings. Now they build championship series standings. Now some people just call them the BS standings probably. <laughs> but um, they're number seven, and if they beat Tennessee, they obviously would move up maybe even to the top five. <sighs> Close. But not quite. There was a fumble. It's a long story. Tennessee won 28-24. But you know what? A year from right now, we'll talk about the Arkansas-Tennessee game from 1999 when the Razorback Stadium goalposts were repurposed onto Dixon Street. This is Ozarks at Large. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A longtime Arkansas legislator would have a distinguished descendant. Bradley Bunch was born in Tennessee in 1818, but moved to Carroll County, Arkansas in the late 1830s. After serving in local offices, he was elected to the State House of Representatives in 1854, becoming Speaker six years later. Following service in the Confederate Army and in the State Constitutional Convention that ended the upheaval of Reconstruction, Bunch was elected to the State Senate in 1874, serving as President Pro Tem, where the Arkansas Gazette said, he presides with ease and dignity and with the utmost impartiality. Touted as a potential candidate for governor, he served another term in the Senate and later became county judge and wrote a history of Carroll County during the nation's centennial. Bunch's sister, Anna Allred's descendants, included Shirley Dunham, whose son, Barack Obama, would be elected president of the United States, making Bunch his great-great-great-great-granduncle. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. This is Ozarks at Large. With me is Courtney Lanning to talk about the new movie Quiz Lady. Courtney, welcome back. Kyle, thanks for having me. It stars someone who I find incredibly charming, Aquafina. I will watch her do anything, um, but she's usually, you know, sort of a bigger-than-life character. 
Yeah, I mean, when you expect Aquafina in a movie, you expect her to bring forth all this energy and boisterousness, and she's kind of playing against type here. She's very toned down. Um, she's socially awkward, and she doesn't like people looking at her, and and she's kind of a, a Jeopardy champ. I usually also consider Aquafina associated with comedy. Are there laughs in Quiz Lady? There absolutely are. Um, she plays um, a girl named Anne, who works as an accountant. Uh, she sits in a back corner, doesn't really interact with anybody. The only friend she really appears to have is her little pug, her ancient, like twenty-year-old dog uh, that she named Linguini. Um, and her her thing is she grew up watching this quiz show. It's it's not quite Jeopardy. It's it's, but it's basically Jeopardy. And she watches it religiously every night, has since she was a kid. Uh, one day, she's reunited with her, her older sister, who is played by Sandra Oh, who you typically think of as a pretty serious actress. You know, she usually plays pretty austere roles. Right. She's, you know, Mark Grayson's mother or Raya's mother, you know. She was in Sideways as well. Sideways, Killing Eve. Right. You expect her to... So it's really interesting to see in this movie that she's also playing against type. She is the one that is loud and energetic, follow your dreams, and just very funny. Um, So that's really the magic of this movie is these two are great as sisters um, because they are playing the exact opposite type of characters they normally play. And and that just works out really well, Kyle. Uh, Yeah, and those are two actors that I really will watch in in almost anything because they're just so good and so charming and so wonderful. How about the story itself? Does it hold up? It does. Um, So as I mentioned, Anne is really a big fan of this game show. And uh, her sister, when she sees her just knocking out all the answers, boom, 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 encourages her to try to go on the show. And of course she says, no, I don't want to be on TV. People will be looking at me. That's weird. Uh, So her sister records her as she's lightning rounding these questions and answering them lickety split. And she posts the video, goes viral. Um, and Anne soon finds herself the, the center of attention. The front page of Reddit, all over TikTok, you know how it is. Um, and, they, and they want her on the show. And again, she's not quite into it, but you know, uh, when some, some thugs and money sharks kidnap her dog and demand a large sum of money to get the dog back, uh, she finds this game show is the only chance she has to get that money. So she she sets out to it with her sister by her side. You know, another big surprise in this movie is uh, the game show host is kind of this combination of Alex Trebek and Mr. Rogers. And he's played by Will Ferrell. Perfect. <laughs> right. And, you know, I, I kept looking over to my wife as we were watching this movie and I was like, you know, he really straddles that razor thin line between cornball cheesiness and like inspirational father figure. Cause like even he gets a, a, you know, a tear jerking moment now and again, and you just is surprised. I, when I initially thought about this role as like this soft spoken game show host, my mind went to um, Owen Wilson. You know, mm. I thought, Oh, Owen Wilson would be great for this, but Will Ferrell just balanced it perfectly. And this is streaming on Hulu, correct? It is. You can watch it at your house this weekend, as long as you have a Hulu subscription. So laughs, too, but it sounds like there are times when it's poignant. Yeah, uh, it is surprisingly heartfelt. Um, like you and I were talking about 
before we started talking here, um, you see the trailer for this movie, and yeah, it definitely gets some laughs out of you. But um, you, I initially thought, oh, great, this is going to be one of those comedies where they put all the good jokes in the trailer, and then the movie's kind of dull. And while the movie does take a little bit to get going, you know, once it does and these sisters are on their quest, um, it's surprisingly emotional at times. Um, and there's just plenty of good laughs and interesting story. All right, Quiz Lady streaming today on Hulu. You can read Courtney's full review, guess where? At KUAF.com and OzarksAtLawrence.com. It'll be there. Uh, do you know what we're going to talk about next time? Next week I will have a double feature for you, Kyle. Oh. Uh, on one hand, I will have a new Digimon movie mm -hmm. hot off the presses. And then, of course, you and I can talk about the next Marvel movie, The, the Marvels. Marvels. I'm so looking forward to this. You know me. I can't wait. I, I love Iman Varelli. Um, I, I, I am just, I'm there for her. Whatever, whatever movie, whatever project, boom, sign me up. You and me both. You and me both. Okay, that will be the double feature next time. Courtney Lanning, as always, thank you so much for your time. Kyle, thanks for having me. Every day, you hear lots of news on Ozarks at Large. But have you ever wanted to test your listening skills? Now you can with KUAF's Word Puzzle. It's just like your other favorite daily word games that feature five-letter words and color-based hints. But you might even get a hint from the previous day's Ozarks at Large broadcast. Go to KUAF's website or newsword.org slash KUAF to start playing daily puzzles now. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio is our underwriting director, Ryan Versi. Ryan, welcome back. Thank you. It's one of my favorite places to be. All right. Um, we've got three winners to announce. That's correct. They're all going to be going to the Ozark, the original Ozark Folk Festival, the 76th annual in Eureka Springs next weekend. And if I'm correct, it's the longest running folk festival in the country. Yes, it is. Consecutively as well. Yes. So, yeah, that's awesome. So two of these folks are going to get the Friday night show. That's correct. And then we're going to save the big winner who gets everything. Yes, all three Thursday nights. Thursday night through, okay. Yeah. Uh, so Friday night is Trout Fishing in America headlining plus Matt the Electrician. It's going to be a great show at The Odd. Oh, absolutely. Who we got? Mr. Matt Norwood of Fayetteville. And then um, I've got Stacy Pugh-Tow. Okay. City not listed. So those people are going on Friday night. No, yeah, Friday night. That's so correct. So we'll see Matt the Electrician and Trout Fishing America, both great performers. I've now, heard, yeah. Now, who's going to get the whole thing? Now, this person gets a pair of tickets to all three nights. Mm -hmm. That includes the Barefoot Ball. Yeah. That includes John Fulbright and Brendan Lee. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, this is going to be awesome for Sydney Ogle. Congratulations. Again, thank you for entering these giveaways. Um, you make it fun, especially for me, because I get to come yeah. in here and hang out with Kyle. So. The Barefoot Ball is Thursday night. That's correct. The Barefoot Ball started um, because of this program called Truth or Consequences. There was a national program called Truth or Consequences, and they would make references to a barefoot ball. Eureka Springs reached out and said, hey, we'll do your barefoot ball. And so, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago. Oh, wow. We did that. Hey, we do have the holiday giveaway coming up, right? We do have the holiday giveaway coming up. I'm setting that up as we speak. I've reached out to several businesses in the area, um, several organizations as well, to provide a really cool prize. And I think we're going to have several of the same people from last, same companies and businesses from last year. Right. Um, I'm trying to have some new things there as well. So be on the lookout for that. I'm going to set that up as soon as possible, but it will for certain be up by Thanksgiving. Ryan Versi, Underwriting Director at KUAF. Pleasure Absolutely. as always. Same. 
This is a Friday edition of Ozarks at Large. The college basketball season begins on Monday. High hopes for the 14th-ranked Arkansas Razorback men's team. They've already had a big win, even though the season hasn't started. Last Saturday, they defeated number 3 Purdue in an exhibition game in Bud Walton Arena, that game going to overtime. It's also time for the first-ever Eric Musselman bobblehead to be released. Musselman is the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks, and a bobblehead featuring his likeness is available as of today. So we reached out to Phil Sklar, who is the co-founder and CEO of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum, because they're the ones putting out the bobblehead. I asked Phil, how do you decide who is a bobblehead, and then how does it happen? So it actually, you know, takes uh, a lot of different pieces to come into place. And uh, with this one, you know, we had seen over the past several years uh, Eric leading the Razorbacks to uh, some great wins and, you know, high rankings in the top 25 and uh, some epic celebrations as well. And so when we saw the celebration after they beat uh, Kansas last year in the NCAA tournament, you know, top ranked and defending champs knocked them out. And I jumped up on the scores table and, uh, you know, got the crowd even more riled up than they already were and thought, hey, that would make for an epic bobblehead. And so we, we have an Arkansas license and asked them about doing a bobblehead, and they were on board. So we're excited to today to be releasing the first bobblehead of Eric Musselman. All right, I've only seen the two-dimensional image. The three-dimensional Eric Musselman, how much does the head bobble? Uh, it's a, it has a good bobble. We always make sure that the uh, the bobbling is maximized on, our, on the bobbleheads that we produce. Is that something that comes up in meetings? Like, how's the bobble? Is the bobble working on this one? <laughs> you know, we have had times when we're like, oh, it doesn't look like it's going to bobble as much. So we have the factory send a video just to, to confirm that the bobble is there. <laughs> so who gets the first one of a run? Is it is it the person who the bobblehead is an image of? Yeah, we tried to get that, that first one, uh, you know, to the person. And, uh, you know, sometimes they'll put it on their desk, uh, you know, or give it to somebody that they want, maybe the, the wife or somebody that's that close to them, uh, maybe the, a parent or something of that nature. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's always interesting to see the person's reaction when they get the bobblehead for the first time. Uh, I, there's a limited number of these, correct? Yeah, so each one's individually numbered to 2023. Uh, it's this year, modeled after that uh, epic celebration. And, uh, yeah, hopefully this is the start of uh, more celebrations to come. <laughs> and once they're gone, they're gone. I mean, we could do another different bobblehead, but uh, we'll never have this, this style again. You know, there was another celebration uh, after a big victory for Eric Musselman. He had a shoulder injury at the time, so his arm went as a sling. And there were pictures of him in another sort of celebration with his shirt off and his arm in a sling, just want to tell people that's not the bobblehead. That is not the bobblehead, uh, not this time. Um, you know, we, we did inquire about having a shirt on or shirt off, and uh, they did prefer the shirt on. Um, but we'll see. Maybe uh, we'll convince at some point to do uh, one with the shirt off, maybe one with the sling. Uh, maybe this year after the national championship uh, comes back to Arkansas for the second time, Maybe we'll uh, we'll be able to do a shirt off national championship bobblehead. I think that's a great that's a great deal there. Win win the natty, get the shirtless Eric Musselman bobblehead. Um, is there a Phil Sklar bobblehead? Uh, we do have uh, bobbleheads. Me and the other co-founder that we have uh, 
on display with the welcome panel at the museum, and we give them out as business cards every once in a while as well. Well, I'm sure we'll talk again because you guys always have great ideas. But, Phil, thanks so much for your time. That was great talking to you again, Kyle. Have a great one and great Phil Sklar is the co-founder and CEO of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. The Eric Musselman, first ever Eric Musselman bobblehead available today. Ozarks at Large is a production of 91.3 KUAF in Fayetteville. Program produced at the Carver Center for Public Radio. Contributors to our Friday show included Michael Tilley with Talk Business and Politics, Becca Martin-Brown, the Arts and Entertainment Editor for the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Mark Christ, Courtney Lanning, and additional reporting today provided by the Newsroom and Daniel Breen at Little Rock Public Radio. Our theme is titled The First Hurrah. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Oh, and thank you to Ryan Versi, our underwriting director at KUAF, for stopping by as well. Don't forget you can always uh, take part in our giveaways by going to KUAF.com. For listeners on KUAF, I'll be back with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large. And we'll start a brand new week of daily editions of our program on Monday noon and 7 on KUAF, every weeknight at 7 on KUAR. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art presents the final season of Listening Forest. Guests are invited to explore an interactive world of light, sound, and wonder in this immersive nighttime experience. Open through December 31st. Tickets at crystalbridges.org.